Octa Non Verba is a show that's raw and real, featuring hard-hitting interviews with people that live by the ethos of actions, not words. Marcus Aurelius Anderson is a TEDx speaker, best-selling author, veteran, and leadership and mindset coach. With this show, you get to join Marcus as he goes inside the minds and experiences of the world's most successful warriors, leaders, entrepreneurs, and experts. With each episode, you're going to get the philosophies, concepts, tactics, and strategies these leaders use to turn adversity into victory, to live an extraordinary life based on actions, not words. Now, here's your host, Marcus Aurelius Anderson. In this episode of Octonombraba, we hear part two of my interview with Ryan Muncie, author of Fuck Your Feelings. In part one, Ryan talked about the common challenges that he finds while coaching, how he came to embrace his current philosophies, and what was the impetus for his book. You can find part one in the previous episode of Octa Nonverba. In part two, we will continue the discussion and talk about the need for identifying priorities that help you move the chains every day. Ryan also tells of how a tragedy early in his life had a tremendous impact on him and how he was able to find the gift in that adversity. Ryan also talks about some of his future projects on the horizon, Please enjoy part two of my interview with Ryan Muncy. Because you and I work with similar groups, you have the high performers, the people that are driven, but sometimes there is that push, that dark side where that's the person they can't switch off, or that's the person they can't be present with their family when they're off of the job or whatever it is, because they get this success amnesia or this accomplishment amnesia where they work so hard for this thing and they work and they grind and they push and they lead their team and they have all this momentum and they get it and they accomplish it and they just check the box and they keep moving forward without the ability to be present, without the ability to celebrate that. And almost in this fear that that will make them lose their edge, almost as if that's the thing that drives them when if they're able to have that presence and they're able to actually embrace that, I think they will find that there's an additional dimension to what they're doing. So it's not just the destination, it's the beauty of the journey and the appreciation of both once you get to those places. Is there something that you would recommend for people that are in those sort of positions? Yeah. So it's hard, you know, to say a general kind of prescription or a protocol, if you will. But I think when I am working with or talking to an individual or a particular group around that specific obstacle, or challenge, one of the things that we have to do as coaches is we always have to relate it back in terms of what they want and what their priorities are, right? And so I think a lot of times coaches and, and writers and, you know, whatever, we, we get so caught up in the thing we're passionate about that we get into like the nerdy details and like the nitty gritty stuff and and people's eyes just glaze over and they're like, you know, dude, I, I hear you. I tell, I hear you telling me like, I need to, you know, get more parasympathetic. I need to stop redlining, you know, whatever, uh, use less caffeine, get better sleep. Cool. I hear you. And so to me, that's a sign that I haven't done my job. You know, it's my responsibility to get this person to understand how what I'm talking about benefits what they want. And so. You know, again, depending on who it is and what their priorities are, you know, I always try to relate it back to, you know, if you do this, it will make you better at this. You'll have more time for this, you know, whatever it is. And so let's just use a first responder or somebody in that vein that is always redlining and, and has a hard time turning it off. And, you know, it's just, it's as simple as, you know, talking about, okay, well, first of all, what are the simple steps, right? Because again, you know, a lot of these people, 
aren't, again, they're not nerds about this stuff like you and me. So like for me, I've eaten pre-prepared, you know, meals that are cold. I don't reheat them. Like, you know, I can be a robot with that, but there are a lot of people who, you know, just the idea of pre-preparing meals or food prep, they're just like, nope, not me, not happening. So, you know, we have to give real world strategies and, and, you know, implementable tactics that, that they can actually follow. So making it just really, really simple so that, again, it actually gets done. And then just saying, okay, well, look, if you can get an extra half an hour of sleep every night, right? Like I, I can't tell you how many uh, groups I've talked to in law enforcement or SWAT or, or whoever it is that, you know, they're like, I just, I can't get more than five hours of sleep a night. I'm like, okay, well, let's get five and a half, right? That's better, right? And then, you know, after a few weeks, can we get six, right? But I think a lot of times if we just say like, hey, you have to go from five to eight immediately, they're just like, no, nope, can't do it. Not even going to try. And so, you know, we have to find those little baby steps, get them experiencing, you know, get them a win, get them experiencing how great it can feel. I always talk about it as uh, wearing contacts or corrective lenses. You know, if you wear glasses or corrective lenses, the first time you go in to the eye doctor, you don't realize how poor you're seeing, how poor your vision is until you get these corrective lenses. And then you put them in and you're like, oh my God, like it looks different. And so, you know, when people start eating a little bit healthier, when they start, you know, living life hydrated instead of dehydrated, or, you know, they're sleeping more or they're sleeping better and they're getting that quality sleep, you know, they start to experience it. And so the buy-in increases, right? And that's what we need. We need the buy-in. And again, I think going back to like relating it to what their goals are, we can say, well, look, if you sleep a little bit better or a little bit more and you eat a little bit better, you take a little bit better care of yourself, you're not going to have pain. You know, you won't have to drink as much caffeine. You know, you'll be more mentally clear. You'll come home and you won't be as smoked or tired at the end of the day, which means you won't be uh, irritable with your family. You'll have more time or more quality time with your family. You know, and again, it's a lot of that is is before I even start with those, let's call them protocols or prescription, there's conversation with either the individual or the group about what it is that they want. And so, you know, if family is not an important thing, then I'm not going to weave that into my answer. But if I know family is important, then we build that into the answer. And so again, I think it's one of those scenarios where we have to, as coaches or communicators, leaders, whatever, we have to know what's important to them. And so that requires asking questions, you know, finding out what those things are, rather than assuming that, it's just a matter of me getting on stage and spouting off like what I know. It just becomes a checklist at that point and it's superfluous. And it's where, again, that's where the coaching, that's a sign of a good coach because coaching people, teams, an individual, whatever, it's difficult because people are difficult and they change. You know, they're sticky sometimes, they're, they're messy. And the person that you speak to on a Monday may not be the same person on a Thursday and vice versa. So like you said, you're done with the Monday and it's like, okay, we're driven, we're, here's where we're going. We talked to him Thursday. And like you said, and even then the, the concept where you're talking about, you know, eating and, and the diet and eating even cold food, it's better to have a 75% plan that we know that they'll do than a hundred percent plan that they will never do. And like you were saying, telling somebody to go from five to eight hours of sleep subconsciously, they will hold back. They're like, I'm never doing that. And so then all of a sudden they create that block on their own, even though they understand and you understand that we have to do that. That's where I talk about this concept of micro adversities where cold showers, exposure, you know, Tabata is something that makes us embrace that because our society right now 
so many people because they're not physical. And again, you talk about this uh, in the book so eloquently because they don't really know what a true threat is. Somebody that makes a bad comment on their post on social media to them, their adrenals are just going and they're mad and they're pissed off because they've never truly been pushed, whether it be in a martial art capacity or a 20X seal fit type of event. And I think that that's why we have to have these ideas because until we become familiar with it, until we can see adversity and say, this is just a part of life, it's not going to go away. And once we can do that, then it's like, okay, fuck your feelings. I'm going to move forward. Because in order for me to get there, my feelings don't care about what my beliefs are or what the end result is. I have to go beyond those. And I think that that's something that's often overlooked. And when these people that say that they're motivated to get to the next level are. You call them micro adversities. I call it stress inoculation. Yeah, yeah. But I love embracing that as often and as frequently as possible because and this is like nails on the chalkboard to me. But uh, when, when people say muscle memory, and of course, this is in the book, but you know, muscles do not have the capacity for memory. Anything that, that we think of as muscle memory is neurological wiring. And this is, uh, it has neurons that fire together, wire together. And the more you do something, the more that that pattern, you know, whether it's a punch, a kick, a golf swing, a free throw, riding a bike, whatever it is. And so I always give that rant to try to, now when I say patterning or neurological wiring, you know, if you're somebody who has always said muscle memory, that's what I'm talking about, but it's not muscle memory. But we develop that mental muscle memory, if you will, or, or that neurological patterning, um, the behavior, the behavioral pattern, right? That's the important part is that you develop this behavioral pattern to almost move towards adversity, or at the very least, to view it in a neutral or objective, not emotional capacity. And so when we do that, whether it's cold showers or, and in the book, I talk about this as like, there's ways that you can do it daily. There's ways that you can do it weekly. You can do it monthly, quarterly, annually. Like, so with something like a 20X challenge, you're not going to do that every day. You're not going to do it every week, but maybe every year you do something on that level. The more we start to, and you could call that getting outside your comfort zone, but, but I think that's cliche. I think the more we expose ourselves intentionally to discomfort or adversity or stress, we build that muscle, we develop that behavioral pattern so that it becomes easier and easier and easier. And then, as you said, when we actually face real adversity, we know what to do. And, and we're a lot more likely to handle it in a way that facilitates the most desirable outcome. Yeah, there's so much in that. And even you were mentioning these things about these big events that we do. When I was in infantry school, for example, you know, it's four months, sleep is a dream, you know, water, food, all those things. And when you're getting smoke, like you say, there's a part of this that, you know, wants to say, fuck your feelings. But I learned to almost just turn off. It's like, I'm not going to resist this at all. I have no opinion about this. I leave myself no other choice. And when there's no other choice, the choice is simple. And now I just execute. And now there's no resistance. There's no oh, I don't feel like doing this or this is cold or they're being mean or they're yelling these things at us. It's like, you just go with it. And by doing that, like you said, that pattern and actually it's a form of capitulation, but that capitulation allows victory in the end. So it's a tactical loss, but strategically you're much further along. And I think that those micro adversities and like you said, this fear inoculation or the stress inoculation, people always talk about post-traumatic stress disorder, but they don't talk about the stress 
adaptation and what it does and why we have to have it and why, whether it be lifting weights or running or whatever, we have to change that load, that stimuli, that lack of adaptation or that necessary adaptation to get to that place. And in the book, you, you bring those together really, really well. So I think that if you're a person who's an entrepreneur or you're a person that's a, a redliner or you're a person who just wants to be able to better communicate with somebody, these are all things that will behoove you. And if you're willing to put that in there, that's all those circles, you know, all those silos, all those buckets, almost like the Ikigai where when it comes together, now that overlap is you and your existence. And now you can tell yourself, okay, what do I want to pour into? What do I need to pour into? And by doing that, you're able to not only step away and say, fuck your feelings, but you can be more objective. Much in the same way, if we have a person, we've all seen couples that are toxic, horrible relationships. And that's because we are there are no emotions for us. We're step out of it. But when we're in it, it's tougher for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny, just since we're talking about cold, I had a uh, message shared with me yesterday by somebody that read the book. They live in Arizona and apparently the water in Arizona during the summer doesn't get cold enough for an adequate cold shower. So this individual found some kind of a basket. I'd have to study the picture a little bit more clearly to see what it is exactly, but maybe it's like a, a basket for like a hanging plant or something because it had a some kind of a hanging apparatus and then it came down and then they had the basket. This basket was filled with ice cubes and it was hanging on the shower head so that the shower head came through, like the water came through the ice and created a cold shower. And, uh, oh, brilliant. and it was like, Hey dude, uh, I, I love your book. Like I'm, I'm digging the cold showers, like check out this setup. And so I had to reshare it on my story and it reminded me so much of one of the other lessons in the book. And, and that is you know, of all people, this lesson came from John Carlton. And I say that because he's a copywriter, but you know, understanding psychology, right? That's a huge part of copywriting. And so this lesson that he shared was can't equals won't. And what he means by that is, you know, when we say I can't, what we're really saying is I won't do what is necessary to fill in the blank. And so I took that and ran with it. It was, uh, if you haven't read the book, this is news. If you've read the book, you've heard all this. But when I had the gym, that was a rule in the gym that you were not allowed to say I can't. And it was written, it was huge. It was on the blackboard and it just, it never got erased. And if anybody in the gym said, I can't, um, the entire facility had to stop and do 10 no-handed burpees. And of course, I learned that from SealFit. We did so many no-handed burpees. And so it's not about the burpees. It's about behavioral modification and making you from... It's inserting that little moment before you say, I can't. And so I loved seeing that because I think so many people... First of all, I get so many messages about like, oh, cold showers, like that's too far. You're too crazy. I can't do that. And so again, there's that word, right? I can't, but like, Mm -hmm. I can't from a, like a mental block, but then also like, here's a person that wanted to do them and the water wouldn't get cold enough and they found a way to do it. And I just, I love that. I eat that stuff up because that is the difference. People ask me, one of the most common questions I get on podcasts like this is, you know, what's the difference between high performers and, you know, non-high performers or whatever you would call that category. And I'm like, that's it. It's finding a way, right? Like this, this dude, I don't even know what this contraption is or where it came from, 
but it was like, you know what? This shower is not cold enough. I'm committed to doing this thing. Let me figure out a way to do it. I love that approach, that mindset. That's very much a Hannibal Crest in the Alps, right? It's like, I will find a way or I'll make one. Yeah. And that's the thing. There's For the people that want a way, there's always one. And for people that want an excuse, they're there as well. So we have to figure out. And I think also, and you talk about it, so many people think that they want all these things. There's so many things, this huge laundry list. But because they do that, now they really don't know what they want or they don't know what's truly a priority. So, you know, if everything's a priority, then nothing's a priority. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, finding two of those three things, like when you talk about moving the chains, even you're like, this is the one thing today that if I can get this done, I move the line, you know, I move the needle and now I'm pushing. And uh, I think that that is so important because that specificity gives us that urgency is just that presence. And now instead of thinking, you know, we're overwhelmed, so I'm going to pick up my phone and get on social media or check emails unnecessarily, that gives us that that desire, understanding what we need to get done. And again, by using, and he, in, in this book, I keep talking about it, but at the end of the book, he has these exercises, these activities you can do. So it, it comes together so well. But I think that's something that people always forget about as well. They just think that they're going to operate at this high level at 500% of what they're capable of and be able to continually do that and not crash and burn or not get like adrenal fatigue or burn themselves out. Even machine gun in the military, they would tell us to squeeze the weapon and you'll get five to three to, to seven round bursts. Because if I just hold it down, I will literally melt the barrel. So it doesn't, <laughs> right. it doesn't help us, right? right? Even though you may be excited, you want to, you want the gun to go off. It's like, yeah, but we have to understand that there again this this long haul kind of back what we were talking about earlier with yep. entrepreneurship or even new people that it, maybe they want to lose a lot of weight or they want to run a marathon next month and they haven't run before. It's like, I mean, you can, but there's probably a more enjoyable way to get there. So that brings it all the way back to that talk I did in Sweden that kind of led to all of this. And so the whole, like I, I think I mentioned this earlier, that that talk was states and traits. And so this was the Biohacker Summit. So you've got individuals that are in constant pursuit of peak performance, right? And in a lot of the talks that I do, where it's performance related, I always try to get people to think high performance as opposed to peak performance. And, you know, the reason for this is, well, a peak by definition has a drop off on either side. And especially if you are in a profession that is unpredictable, law enforcement, military, you know, whatever, we can't afford to have a call come in when you're on the downside or the drop off of that peak. And so what we want is sustainable high performance. We want to take baseline and we want to elevate it, but we want to think like Mesa or, you know, that flat top that's elevated as opposed to peak. And, you know, this is, that was the concept of, of states and traits. And so that was, you know, built into that first talk. It's in the book and everything that you're kind of alluding to there is is what that's all about right it's it's you know how do we make this sustainable how do we make this something that isn't flash in the pan how do we make something that is is consistent and scalable and you know i think that's something that really gets lost we were talking about this before we hit record with social media and you know yeah. one of my mentors and and friends now um you know paul reddick always says you know people celebrate or cheer a start but, you know, they don't, a new beginning, but not a follow through, right? And so, you know, like imagine going on social media and you're like, well, just made it to day 98 of eating clean. 
you might get a few likes, right? A couple of comments. But if you get on there, you know, and you're like, hey, starting a new diet, going to do this, 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 and it's, you know, who's with me? Like that gets a totally different response. And so, right. you know, part of that is is just how people think. Part of that is now we're, we're training that uh, and we're reinforcing that negative kind of behavior and, and we get caught up in, you know, celebration and admiration and validation, and, you know, all that external stuff that isn't intrinsic and, you know, it's not lasting. And now I'm so far down that rabbit hole, I don't even remember <laughs> where we started. So I'm going to No, that's why we're doing a long content format here. That's why we have all of it. And that's where the gold is, in my opinion. Yeah. To finish that. Yeah, you brought me back. So I get it. Like that, and that's, that's the, I don't want to say the problem, but on social media, it lends itself to that type of thing. The, as you said earlier, like the team, no sleep and hustle, hustle, grind, grind. And those things that aren't necessarily uh, scalable or sustainable. And I don't think people understand either that if they would do what you're talking about in the book, they wouldn't have to be team no sleep. They wouldn't have to be zero days off, hashtag blah, blah, blah. Right. They could literally get more done and yeah. actually have some time off and not even feel guilty about it. They're like, oh, I've, yeah. I've been moving, moving the change for the last three months. I'm good. And you hit the nail on the head. I mean, that's, I, look, I love my work. I love what I do, but I don't want to work all day, every day. I want to hang out with my wife. I want to go, you know, hang out with my friends, my family. Like I want to record podcasts and have great conversations like this. I want to go hunting. I want to go travel. I want to, you know, see the world and work is, and again, like, I mean, everybody has their own, you know, relationship with that and view on that. And, And the point should be that it should serve your needs, not you serving it. And don't lose sight of that, especially if you're an entrepreneur. My guess is if you're an entrepreneur, you became an entrepreneur to have more time, uh, more freedom of time and more freedom of finance. And like, how much of that do you need? Like, how much, how much money do you really need? Like, do you need, you know, the senior picture in front of a Lambo? Like, I don't, I'm not chasing that, you know, and you hit the nail on the head. I mean, that's uh, that, obviously that was a little bit of a trigger, but yeah, like I just like don't cool. Dan John is one of my favorite strength coaches. And he has a saying that is uh, the goal should be to make sure that the goal stays the goal. And I think so many of us are guilty of, of losing sight of that. And again, social media is one of those things where we can get caught up in, you know, yeah. shiny objects and perception and, you know, seeking, you know, the other people think I'm whatever. Like, who cares? In the military, they say the plan is not the mission. The mission is the mission. So when we get caught up in, just like you said, when people try to overcomplicate things or, or even coaches, it's fun. It's this intellectual, you know, ability to do some gymnastics, but in the end, it comes down to those efficient things. And I always talk about it you know, about the 80-20 principle and Hicks Law and Parkinson's Law and Occam's Razor. So all those things come down to simplicity. Mm-hmm. Hacking away the essentials. Can I do it easier in three steps? It's more likely to be correct, Occam's Razor, than seven steps, you know, all these kind of yep. things. So by having that simplicity and just letting it sort of be permeated and baked to, into everything that you do, you know, it's almost easier to kind of go that route. And that kind of becomes your default as opposed to, like you're saying, it's like, oh, you know, well, if I did more of these things and I got a side hustle and then did side hustle on my side hustle. And then I went ahead and got a click funnel that side hustled into my side hustle. So, or the entrepreneur math where they're like, okay, I have a $500 product. If I get 5,000 people to buy it a month and I can buy it, I can be a multi It's like, no, you're, you're losing sight of why are you doing this? Do you actually have a product that's going to help somebody? Would you buy this? Are you even morally invested in this thing? And 
if you're not, then maybe you should stop and step back for a second and look and say, what would satisfy me? What would be fulfilling for me? That's kind of the way I look at it. Well, you do too, obviously. Yeah, I mean, so many in, I guess, corporate world, but also in the entrepreneurial world get confused with, you know, being busy versus being productive. And, you know, that, you know, essentialism is another favorite book of mine. And that practice oh, yeah. of, you know, separating the vital few from the trivial many, right? Mm-hmm. That's really, that's what Move the Chains is. It's an exercise in essentialism. And if I only get a couple of things done, what has to get done? And it forces you to identify, you know, as you said earlier, priorities or the essentials. And you just, you pare it down and it's, you know, all those things, right? It's 80-20 or, you know, Occam's Razor or whatever you want to, however you want to think about it. It's just, and I would argue that, you know, again, like I have a pretty good sampling or cross-section over the years. The people who are successful or are high performers, whatever you want to call them, they're the people that they do a little bit every day. Now, some days they do a lot, but it's the other days, right? Like we all have good days. And I think, if we started to measure ourselves by our bad days or our average days, as opposed to our best days, you know, I think our view really starts to change. And so, you know, I want to know how good are you at your worst? You know, the chips are down or, or whatever. And, you know, the move to change thing is I'm going to get that done every single day, regardless of, you know, how I feel. I could be tired. I could be, you know, everything could be absolutely everything could go wrong. I will still get those three things done, right? Like, and, and my list is is right here. I had three things today written down as move the chains. It was coaching call, train, and this podcast with you. And whatever else happens today, like I know those three things move my mission and my business forward, and also like my health and you know wellness goals. And so everything else that happens today, and and look, if, if you're not paying attention and you hear that that's all I did today. That's not. I did a lot of other things, but all those other things are kind of extra. And so, again, the people I know who are successful and high performers are people that they touch their business every day, or you know, they touch this thing, they check in with it, whatever phrase or term you want to use. And again, like there'll be other days where they're, you know, maybe it is a sixteen-hour day, maybe it is a twelve-hour day, but every single day they're doing something. And with the people that I've worked with or or been around who for whatever reason fail to make significant progress over a large amount of time when we really look at how they spend their days you see that these are people who are not moving the chains in a methodical way and like you alluded to earlier they're i would call it shiny object syndrome right they're chasing this and it's like oh this quick funnel or this thing or this thing and it's this and it's that and, and they've lost sight of uh as Mark Devine would call it, like that front sight focus. And it's just, okay, this is what we're doing. How do we get from here to here on this thing? You know, tunnel vision. I think that's brilliant looking at, like you said, using your lowest days as sort of your uh, your litmus test to see, you know, what it is. Because like you said, that's a huge indication of what your other really great days are. And like you said, the, the idea of the peak, we cannot perform the peak state all the time. As a matter of fact, if anybody's ever pushed themselves physically to a peak, you know that on the downward slope is whenever you start feeling sick, when you start getting injured, because your body subconsciously knows that that's as far as it can go. And it's like, listen, we gave you all we had, and now we're, um, we're going on strike, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> we're going to get you injured or we're going to shut down or something like that. So 
It's yeah. the body's smart if we listen to it, right? It is. And, and nobody wants that, right? I mean, we're, we're both kind of laughing, but I, I know I've been there and I'm sure you've been there. And, oh, and yeah. I mean, we know this from experience and, and I think we're trying to help other people avoid those missteps and we're all human. I mean, sometimes you have to, you know, somebody says, you know, Hey, this milk smells and you're like, Oh, well, let me take a whiff. Like I, I need to know what that is. Right. But, and I think maybe people will experience that and be like, Oh, well, that's what Marcus, that's what Ryan was talking about. Like, okay, now I know, okay, let's, let's pull back to this level. And I know that I can sustain that, you know, for a long period of time. So people have asked me, they're like, Oh, you wrote a book called the gift of adversity. Do you not have adversity anymore? You said that this fuck your feelings is sort of the mantra that you tell yourself. When was the last time you had to tell yourself that? Couple hours ago, <laughs> yeah. Couple hours. <laughs> what ago. time is it? What time um, is it? No, I, I mean, look. I, there's no way I could have written that book if that wasn't a real thing that I had to go through and learn. Yeah, we mentioned Paul earlier. Paul always says that uh, you know every strength comes from what was once a deficit. So if you see somebody who is an amazing communicator, there's probably a time where they weren't the best communicator. And you know, that goes for just about everything that we could see as a strength. And so, you know, if I seem to have developed strategies to control or be in charge of my limbic system, it's probably because there was a period of my life where my limbic system controlled me. And I just, I said, you know, look, how do, how do we stop that? How do we get in control of this thing? Like what is going on? Because I know that these things I'm doing to make myself happy right now are not the things that I need to be doing to make myself happy long term. And so I'm joking about a couple hours ago, but like, I mean, maybe I'm not. I, I don't, I mean, it, it's, <laughs> uh, I, I know I worked out a few hours ago and my workout was, you know, there was, there's some times in that where I'm just like, you know, actually today was one of those, you mentioned it earlier where you just like, you just kind of turn it off and you go somewhere else. And I did that today and it wasn't even yeah, yeah. like the workout was just fine, but. A lot of times I say it around my workouts. It's probably a daily thing, at least once or twice a day. I think it's a great way to empower yourself. You know, it's, I mean, self-talk is big. And I think that by doing that, it really makes us take measure of what's truly important. And like you said, it makes us be mission-driven, laser-focused, as opposed to, you know, amygdala-driven and emotional in, in those contexts. Is there anything that you really are wanting to work on or really challenging yourself with now? You have an incredible business. You, you do... Your podcast is amazing. You're doing a lot of workshops and things like that. What is something that you're working on now and where can our listeners learn more about you? I think the next stretch, and I mean that not, not in a, like a time sense, but like uh, the stretch for me personally or from a creative standpoint will be either another business or another book. I'm not sure which of those is going to come first. Paul and I were trying to write a book together over the last we spent the last year talking to agents and publishers and just decided a few months ago to go our own way. And so we're, we're trying to get some wind back in the sales of that project. That would be uh, a real stretch to try to create, again, something that is that much of a resource and, and a timeless thing. I mean, that was very difficult to do once and, and to, to try to do it again and to do it with a, a co-author will be a challenge. And I think it would be really fun. I can't think of a better person to do that with. So we are doing that. I've, I've got a new project with my uh, hunting partner in Montana. His name is Mike Lum. And you know, that project is called Fuel to Pursuit. And he has been a fly fishing guide in Montana for like 30 years. Wow. And he's 
been a backcountry hunter for you know basically that whole time as well. And he actually opened the door for me to be able to come out and get into that kind of hunting. You know, I grew up hunting whitetails in, in the, on the East Coast, and I say it like that because now once you go out there and you hunt Western style, like sitting. I was never one that I couldn't sit in a tree stand out here anyway, but you know, to be it's a whole other world. But on that first trip, looking into how do you feed yourself in the backcountry when you have to live off of your, you know, out of your backpack for, you know, a week, I was very frustrated by the lack of quality nutrition. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of Skittles and Snickers bars being eaten out there and, and being, you know, I think the food people, the dietitians were talking about bagels. So Mike is actually very much into, you know, optimal performance. And and that's actually how we came into contact with each other as well. And we have put together this new business, Fuel to Pursuit, that, as the name suggests, is going to provide a lot of what we would call those elite level performance strategies for backcountry hunters and really anybody who enjoys the the backcountry. So that's an exciting project that... uh, we'll probably start launching that with some serious momentum next spring. Fantastic. I'll put all this in the show notes because that's something powerful. I went to Safari in South Africa. And like you said, it was very much the same way where, like you said, you're in Oklahoma, you're sitting in a tree stand, the tree, they can't see you. They can't smell you. Bang. You know, you have a scope. It's, it's not nearly the same as when they say, okay, there are Impala over there. And now you have to stalk that thing and you are not the top of the food chain. And even if you get a shot on a kudu and it's two hours before sundown, now you're sprinting to go get it and you have tribesmen with you because everything above you on the food chain smells that and they want it. And if you're carrying that thing on your back as you're, I mean, there's so it's, it's a whole other realm and you learn a lot about yourself, about human nature, about mother nature and how to respect Mm -hmm. those things. So it's, uh, it's we a, are uh, where we do our hunting out west is uh, grizzly country, and on the oh, last yeah. hunt, we found a few very fresh, very large grizzly tracks. And uh, you know exactly what you're talking about. I mean, if you even if you are successful, you know what you harvest is coming out on your back, multiple trips. Yep. And like you said, you know when when there's a carcass on the ground, those apex predators are very aware of that, and you know you are also very aware that you do not want an encounter with them. Oh, there were hyenas. And when they would laugh, like, cause the sun's going down and you just hear that and it just goes right. Your spine does. And there's, there's eyes everywhere, but you can't tell what's a carnivore and what's not. And it's like you said, it's a, it's a beautiful experience. So I, I think that this is a perfect endeavor for what you're doing with what you're doing in Montana out there. I want to just ask you one more thing. I want to be respectful of your sure. time and thank you so much. For me, being injured, being paralyzed, dying on the table was a huge adversity. But once I learned my lessons from it, it became a gift. Is there something that you went through in your life? And I know we, we alluded to the 20X event with uh, SealFit, but was there something in your life that you went through that initially seemed like it was impossible, it was insurmountable, but yet once you went through it and you got stronger on the other side of it, you were able to look back on it and say, wow, if it hadn't been for that, I wouldn't be as strong or I wouldn't have gotten this skill set or understood that the urgency or the, the preciousness of what you have now. Do you know who Josh Monts is? Oh yeah. He's, he's amazing. Okay. love that guy. Okay. He's, he's one of my uh, good friends. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I, I was going to say, if you didn't, I would love to get you guys connected, but um, he has a, obviously a, a similar story. But he was like, like I was flatline, but he was like, 
dead, dead. He was flatlined for 15 minutes. Yeah, he was gone. Gone, yeah. gone, gone. Yeah. And that's what that's yeah. what our joke is. He was like, <laughs> I was like, you were dead. He's like, but you died twice. I was like, yeah, but at the amount of time, like you still like they were, you know, and and then and we won't give yeah. it away. I mean, Josh Mons is amazing. Right. And his book, uh, The Beauty of a Darker Soul, he's working, yeah. you know, he's working on his PhD, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I was able to talk to him recently. Um Beautiful. To answer your question, when I read his book, it shed light on a past experience for me that I didn't realize had kind of informed or molded me and, and my life the way it had. When I was a kid, I had a best friend, as most kids do. He was a year older than me, and uh, he was born in 1983. The night he was born, when he was born, there was something wrong with the soft spot in his head. I don't know all the details, but 1983, his parents had said that, uh, you know, he was not supposed to have a blood transfusion. But that night, the doctors gave him a blood transfusion without talking to the parents. It ended up being tainted blood and he had HIV AIDS. And, uh, when I was 10 and when he was 11, he passed away from AIDS. You know, when I was 10, I mean, you, you lose your best friend, right? I, I don't think at 10 years old, you really understand, you know, what that is and, and all the stuff that's around that. But as I read Josh's book, I was actually finishing it on an airplane. And I just, it was somewhere in the part where he's talking about like maybe survivor's guilt or, or something like that. But I mean, I'm just on this plane and I just have tears coming down my face. Like, it's not even like, I mean, I'm just, it's like a silent cry, but it is just gushing. And it was like just this huge release of like, wow, I didn't realize that that was such a, a driver for me because, you know, like I think a, a lot of guys that we know and even for us, you know, that kind of momentum, memento mori is, you know, it's, it's very front and center for us a lot. And I think that that was a bigger factor in my mindset around like, Hey, you only get one life. Like let's do as much as we can with it. Let's spend as much of our time as we can with the people we love doing the things that we love. And, you know, I know I was actually going to say this a little bit earlier, but as as we were starting to close, made that statement about, I forget exactly how you phrased it, but I know a lot of people can hear that. And for some people, it comes across as being like militant or too disciplined and that um, it's not even about discipline equals freedom. For me, it's about what I just said. Like, you know, I only get one shot at this life and I don't know how long it's going to last. I don't know how much time I have. So for me, you know, really trying to make it matter and make it count as much as I can, you know, to be in control, not let my limbic system, you know, I don't want to leave my life to chance, right? Or, Or to my limbic system. So. Yeah, it's kind of like answering two questions in one, but I think that had more of an impact on me than I realized for a while. And and Josh's book was something that really helped me shed some light on just how much it impacted me. Yeah, there's Josh Montz. If you don't know him, he's incredible. His story is amazing. Go get The Beauty of a Darker Soul. And like you say, sometimes it's that that little sliver that shines that light. And then because if we continue to unpack it, I'm sure that after that, you know, at 10 years old, it changed the way you decided to do things. It changed your physicality or your need to have physicality and the appreciation of those things. And it's very easy for us to to hear what we're saying right now and be motivated, as you would say in the book. And then 
within 72 hours, it's like, what's happened? But when you have something that is so deep reaching and when you have something that is so profound in your life, it's undeniable. It's the first thing you think, think of when you wake up and it's the last thing you think of before you go to sleep. And if you can live your life with that urgency and find something that you're willing to die for and live with it, live for it, that's when you're going to get the most out of it. And by harnessing all the incredible stuff that Ryan's been talking about, all the work that he does, his workshops, you have some incredible online resources as well. And a lot of uh, you both do coaching online as well that people can get more information on. But if you can put those things together and leverage it, it's essentially like a buffet. You can take what you want from Ryan, take what works for you, take what you will do consistently, and then run like hell, man. That's how you get there. I love it. That's great. Outstanding. Well, listen, I've been talking your ear off here. I could talk to you for hours and I can't wait to come over there and, and get to return the favor. But uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for putting us on your list to move the chain. That's a big compliment. And uh, I look forward to talking to you soon, my friend. Thank you. Marcus, thank you for having me on, man. It's been a great conversation and I also look forward to doing it again. Thank you for listening to this episode of Okta Nonverba. This message resonates with you. Please share it out with others on social media. Hit that subscribe button and leave a review for the show anywhere you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please go to MarcusAureliusAnderson.com and join his Okta Nonverba Inner Circle to get exclusive content, news, and information. Until next time, remember, talk is cheap. Live your life based on actions, not words.